This program is brought to you by the University of Southern Queensland. And now on Phoenix Radio, Spaced Out. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Spaced Out right here on Phoenix Radio, the voice of Springfield from the heart of Springfield. This is a very special episode as it is our last episode of Spaced Out from inside the studio. Next week, my co-presenter and producer Jack Lewis and I have something very special planned, so be sure to tune in next week for that. But today, we have seen all sorts of wonderful topics present themselves in the headlines. COVID-19 vaccination stations will be set up outside of 33 different Bunnings stores around Queensland, including some at Browns Plains, Underwood and Bethania. As well as this, it was announced this morning that the Redcliffe Dolphins will join the ladder for the 2023 season of the NRL as the 17th team after a 14-year wait for a new outfit. On today's show, we have Jonty Horner, our resident space expert, in the studio again with a special guest ready to tell us some, about some strange radio frequencies recorded from an unknown source in outer space and the amazing work that his guest, his special guest that you'll have to tune in to see who that is, has been doing. Uh, and would you translate uh, transition to a plant-based diet if it tasted more like meat? Fellow co-presenter and producer Jack Lewis has headed out into the field to see what you all think. And it's Mental Health Week this week, so of course we have another great chat with North Brisbane Psychologist Director Dr Rachel Hannam on the effect that lockdowns have had on our mental health. And in the chase for cleaner, greener and more renewable energy, it's been announced that Queensland will soon become the world's largest manufacturer of green hydrogen. But what does this mean? We'll chat to an expert senior chemistry lecturer here at USQ, Dr Mark Lynch, about what this means for the future of Queensland. But coming right up after this, we speak with Storm Chaser, Justin Noonan, about the, the upcoming anniversary of the 2020, 2020 Halloween storm that ravaged Springfield and surrounding southeast Queensland suburbs and the impending storm season. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Phoenix Radio, the voice of Springfield. Now, it's been almost exactly one year since the devastating storms that ravaged parts of southeast Queensland, including our very own Springfield. And it's been announced by the Bureau of Meteorology that a supercell thunderstorm is forecast for tomorrow with giant hail and destructive winds. We have storm chaser and severe weather warning expert Justin Noonan here to chat with us about what we can expect from these storms and how can we prepare. How are you going, Justin? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am fantastic. So, firstly, what does being a storm chaser entail? I'm sure you've experienced your fair share of severe weather. Uh, I certainly have. been doing it a long time now. I've seen a lot of tornadoes and giant hail and <laughs> all those fun things that come with it. So, basically, for being a storm chaser, me, there's a lot of forecasting involved and picking out a target area and uh, then you drive to that target area and sometimes you can sit there for four to five hours in sunshine and, and wait for the thunderstorm to develop and then basically pick the best storm and chase that. And for me, I love to experience big, giant hail, uh, close lightning, uh, cracks of thunder and ultimately get the cherry on top, which is a tornado as well, which is fantastic, and report that back to the Bureau of Meteorology or the Storm Prediction Centre in the US and actually goes in the warnings and helps uh, people further downstream from that. It's yeah, a great thing to do. Get out and about and enjoy Mother Nature. And it sounds like you're basically doing exactly the opposite of what uh, the rest of us do, which is hide <laughs> inside and pray that it doesn't come near us. Pretty much, yes. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, in your opinion, is it likely that we're about to see another superstorm uh, like the ones we saw almost exactly a year ago? 
Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. The next 48 to 72 hours, we, we have a very large and strong upper system that's going to move through. We're actually probably going to see a lot of thunderstorm activity develop on the Darling Downs tonight, and that's probably going to progress through to parts of southeastern Queensland overnight into early tomorrow morning. So there's a chance of a thunderstorm, maybe some thundery rain, particularly from Brisbane south to the Gold Coast. Now, that, that gets a little bit murky with tomorrow because that kind of activity can actually um, influence what happens during the afternoon. So if that was to quickly move off the coast and we get enough heating during the daytime tomorrow, there is the chance of a couple of very nasty storms. I'd expect them to be more on the Darling Downs than what they are in southeast Queensland, but it certainly can't be ruled out because all the ingredients are certainly there. We have very strong wind shear, excellent moisture. Uh, it's very cold in the upper levels of the atmosphere as well. So all these ingredients help with these severe thunderstorms. But do brace yourself because there is that potential. And I actually think overnight Thursday and particularly into Friday morning, again, there's probably another band of shower and thunderstorm activity that will sweep through from the west. Once again, there's a chance that that actually could be a fairly large and significant complex before that clears off. And Friday afternoon again, there's just a slight chance that across the far coastal regions, more likely in the Sunshine Coast and Wide Bay and Burnett, of some more nasty thunderstorm activity. So certainly best to heed any warnings that are issued over the next 48 to 72 hours, that's certain. Man, it sounds like we've got uh, a perfect storm, would you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, for someone like me, I mean, this is this is what I live for and I dream for this type of stuff. But uh, everyone else, it's, the phone's always going off for the same thing. Are we going to get hit by this storm? <laughs> yeah. So you work for the Early Warning Alert Service, am I right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Work for the Early Warning Network and basically if there's any severe weather across Australia, we send out alerts for that in advance time and you get a text message or an email yep. um, warning you about that. So it's a, it's a great little service to have. So I just want to know what actually constitutes the extreme weather warning? Like how severe does a forecast need to be before you send out the warnings? Like I'm sure there's a fine line between maintaining the trust with those text messages versus just crying <laughs> wolf and saying, oh, there's going to be a massive big hailstorm, but it then ends up to be a sun shower. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Look, we're, we're guided from the Bureau of Meteorology, so any severe thunderstorms, the criteria is hail greater than two centimetres, uh, flash flooding, uh, damaging winds above 90 kilometres an hour, or any tornadic activity. So basically any warnings that the Bureau issue, uh, they come straight through to us, and we normally get them out within one or two minutes, yep. um, and we actually send them off downstream. So someone might be 45 minutes to an hour downstream. We send out a specific polygon for that area, and it goes to those people within that region. So um, it's a very great little service to have, and obviously it's the early warning network to alert you early yeah. in case of the, this type of severe weather event. Now, just before we go, I want to uh, know, uh, like the memory of last year's storms are still embedded in our minds. They certainly are with mine. They were intense. We all had to hide our cars. Um, but what can we do to uh, prevent or to prepare for anything like this, is there any special tips that you as the storm chaser have to, to hide or uh, prepare for stuff like this? Yeah, a couple of things that I can think of is basically just things around the house. So if there have any loose outside objects, like trampolines are a really big one. It doesn't take mm. a lot of wind for a trampoline to become a, an aerial projectile. Um, obviously, cleaning out your gutters for any type of heavy rain events certainly help. Uh, trimming any overhanging branches around the house. Um, obviously, if you do have damaging winds and there are power lines down, steer well clear of that type of stuff. Uh, cars undercover if you can. Obviously, for, for John Howe, my sister lives out in that area and she got uh, 10 centimetre hail on Halloween last wow. year as well and did a lot of damage around her region. Um, just, just those type of things. I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you actually do that prepare, it really gives yourself the best chance of surviving any type of severe weather. And the worst case scenario, you are affected by winds of 170, 180 kilometres an hour or any tornadic activity. 
generally a bathroom is best because it's got a lot of pipes through the walls and it's generally in the middle of the house. So that's always a, a better place to, to seek shelter if needed. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today, Justin. I appreciate this insight. No, my pleasure. Have a great afternoon. You too. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. Up next on Phoenix Radio, we have our resident space expert, Professor Jonty Horner, coming to join us with special guest Natalia Lawson to tell us about the amazing work that she is currently doing. Into the Universe with Jonty Horner. Yes, it's that time of the week again where we chat with our resident space guru, Professor John T. Horner, about interesting events in space. This week, John T. has brought a special guest along with him, so uh, who is a PhD candidate here at USQ. How are both of you doing? Oh, I'm all good. It's good to talk to you again. Always yes. great. great to be here. Now, John T., would you mind introducing us to this a very special guest that you've brought in for us today? Well, so we're joined today by an incredibly gifted PhD student we've got here at USQ, um, Natalie Lawson, who's doing some awesome space science work. And given that last week was World Space Week, it seemed a really good opportunity to introduce a true real-life space scientist and let you actually talk to her rather than me for once. <laughs> of course, we appreciate it. So, uh, Natalia, from what I've seen, you're doing absolutely amazing work in the space sector. Would you enlighten us on all... Uh, enlighten all of us on what it is exactly that you are doing. Yeah, of course. Well, my research is actually broken up into two components. The first part being looking at characterizing exoplanet atmospheres. And so what that means is you hear a lot about us detecting planets, but not necessarily a lot about atmospheres of planets and what is actually in them, because that's a new and upcoming area of astronomy. And so I'm lucky enough to be one of the people in this area of research. But secondly, what I'm also a part of as my PhD is an upcoming space mission called Twinkle. And what makes this really exciting is it actually ties in with the atmosphere research that I'm doing because it's going to be the first space telescope that will be doing a survey on atmospheres of exoplanets. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I was doing a little bit of reading about that, uh, that uh, project, Twinkle. Um, that's super cool. I think it's really cool. Um, so you've set out to analyse the atmospheres of these alien worlds, if you will. Um, what exactly can we expect? And uh, what's the main reason be behind why we're so interested in these, uh, the atmospheres? Well, I don't think we can expect to see any aliens just yet, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but... Because, the reason because of that is because a lot of the planets that we'll probably be looking at are closer to size in Jupiter. And as far as we know, Jupiter has been unsuccessful with maintaining alien life. Um, but we're interested in looking at these other planets because they're so different to our own. And they can also give us a better understanding of what variety is actually out there. And also test, could there be life on a world that we may not have even thought of? Yeah, of course. It's definitely uh, a question that keeps coming back, both in my mind, the minds of uh, film directors as well, apparently. Um, so I've also seen that you've done a bit of a, a YouTube series explaining a bit about observational astronomy. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So when I was an undergraduate, I actually ended up being employed by the Australian Astronomical Observatory in Sydney. And I actually helped the Data Central team 
make some outreach videos to explain to astronomers and also the general public on what Data Central is and how you can use it. But also there were some other more fun videos in there about an introductory to how telescopes work and different types that we have and how astronomers genuine, generally obtain their data. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, just before we go, I have a question for a bit of both of you. Um, just recently, we, uh, we've seen astronomers record radio waves coming from uh, outer space from an ancient group of stars. Uh, this fascinated me deeply. Um, do we know what they are and uh, should we be preparing for an alien invasion? I would say we don't know what they are yet. I would say it's quite mysterious. However, it's not necessarily we can rule out just because it is something we don't know. Yep. What about you, Jonty? What thoughts do you have on it? It really highlights the awesome part of science for me. It's the whole reason we do science is not to answer questions where we already know the answer, but it's rather to look for things we can't explain and then search for explanations. And it's very natural for people to say, anything we can't explain, it must be aliens, the end, job done. <laughs> and in fact, the odds are that it's almost certainly not aliens. It's very highly likely that the explanation is anything but aliens. But until we know for sure, you can't rule aliens out. And anytime you find something in astronomy that's doing something weird that you can't explain, that's gold dust for astronomers. Cause it means that there is something about the universe we don't understand yet, and it's going to give us more clues to how the universe works, how rare events are. And that's really, really key. And it's a kind of thing where Nobel Prizes get awarded 50 years down the line. When you find something really unusual, the people who figure out what it is are uncovering new physics, new science. And that can have a really big impact, not just in space, but here on Earth with development of new technology and also helping us to better understand things at a very small scale so the universe can inform things about our day-to-day -day life. And, yeah, people don't know what this is yet, but that's how science works and that's why it's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it, it fully intrigued me this morning. We were sitting down chatting about it and I thought, oh, my God, it's aliens straight away, like you just said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am the general public that you, you mentioned. <laughs> Awesome. So thank oh, you. It's oh, very right. natural for scientists to go down that route as well because your first instinct, because there's something you really want to know about, mm. your first instinct is could it be? And one of the things we actually have to train ourselves about as science, and one of the things you get taught about as an undergraduate, is training yourself to recognize your own biases mm. and factoring them out. And that's why we use statistics so much in astronomy. I know there's all these things about lies, damn lies, and statistics, and the idea that statistics can be faked. But in fact, statistics are a very good way of seeing what's actually there around those biases we have where we see things that aren't there quite often because that's how we've evolved as a species. And it's really helpful if you're in the forest trying to avoid the tiger that's hunting you, being able to pick things out from little bits of information. It's not so helpful when you're a scientist because it can trick you. And that's where the statistics comes in. Yeah, that's very interesting. Awesome. Thank you both for your time this afternoon and uh, congratulations on the amazing work that you're doing, Natalia. I, uh, it, it fascinates me day in, day out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, keep tuned. We'll see what happens. Yeah, 100%. We'll see if these are the aliens or not. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. Stay tuned. Next up, Jack heads out into the wild to see if you would all consider transitioning to a plant-based diet if scientists are able to make it taste more like meat. That's coming up on Spaced Out right here on phoenixradio.com.au. And now fake meat products are tasting more and more like the real deal. Could they one day fill the cravings of meat eaters instead of the real thing? Jack Lewis has hit the overcast streets of Springfield to find out exactly what you all think. 
I know where I stand on this one and uh, it's going to take a lot for me to, to give up uh, real meat products, but here we go. It looks like meat. It smells like meat. But does it taste like meat? Fake meat products made out of plants have grown in popularity in the last few years, Pat, and now researchers are trying to make them taste even more like meat. So we wanted to find out if we really could make that plant-based product taste like that delicious steak that you have on a Monday night. Would you eat it? Do you eat meat? I do. There's a lot of research happening at the moment of... Uh, making plant-based meat taste a lot more like like meat. Would you be more likely to eat it if it tasted more like meat? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to give it a try. Yeah. Have you ever had that sort of stuff before? Never before. So do you eat meat? No, uh, I do a little bit, yeah. Well, well, would you be more likely to eat plant-based products if they tasted more like meat? No, I would not. Right. Is it? Do you think it's right that they should be making things taste more like meat? I think if you don't want to eat meat, then why do you need a product that tastes like meat? Do you eat meat? Yes, I do. Would you be more likely to, to eat that if they did taste more like meat? I'd probably give it a go, yes. Do you eat meat? Uh, yeah, I do. Do you think if they were able to achieve this, you'd be more likely to, to purely eat plant-based products? Uh, no, I don't think so. You happy with meat? Yeah. Do you eat meat? Yes, I definitely do. There's been a bit of research lately looking into making plant-based meat meat products taste more like meat. Do you think you'd be more likely to have them if they tasted a lot like meat? Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, there's obviously been those debates where people will be meat's meat, even plant-based meat. So really, I just go for either, to be honest. So for you, the big thing is how it tastes? Pretty much, yeah. Are you a meat eater? So you do eat meat? Yes. Um, there's been a lot of research happening lately about trying to make plant-based products taste a lot like meat. If that was the case, do you think you'd be more inclined to eat them? Um, yeah, probably. So it's, for you, it's a lot about how it tastes? Yeah, and the nutritional factors as well, I think. Like, it's good for you, so... Are you a meat eater? Yes, definitely. Would you be more inclined to eat plant-based products if they tasted more like meat? Oh yeah, definitely. Anything, if it just tastes like meat. So for you, it's a lot about the taste? Yeah, I don't mind where it came from, just if it tastes fine. Like meat? Uh, yeah, it depends on what's inside the products and things like that. Yeah. I'd want to know, you know, how they're processed and, um, you know, what sort of, like, ingredients are in there. And that depends on, you know, like, and then it depends on, like, the taste and things like that afterwards as well. Yeah, so the, is it a, a bit about the nutritional values and things like that as well as the taste? Yeah, absolutely, as well as the fact that it's, you know, because it's, like, genetically, not genetically modified food, but, like, because it's, you know, it's all being made, you know, um, in a production line, it's it's less, not natural, but, you know, it's got different products in it. It's not just meat. There you have it, Pat. The people have spoken. And it seems like they don't mind what they eat as long as it tastes right and it helps their body. Back to you in the studio. That's definitely very interesting out there, Jack. Personally, I think oh, it's going to take a lot for me to, to switch over to that plant-based diet. I think that bacon on my uh, hot dog just tastes so good. I, I, don't, I don't know if I could ever switch, to be honest. But if they come out with a product that, like, you, like a few people have said, it's nutritional and it tastes exactly the same, well, then why not? can't see uh, why it would hurt. 
You're listening to phoenixradio.com.au. You're on Spaced Out right here with Patrick, that's me, and our wonderful Dr. Rachel Hannum. How are we? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am fabulous. So this week's topic is why have we seen a raise, a, a rise sorry, um, in people reaching out for professional help during all these COVID-19 lockdowns? Yeah, well, there's been an increased demand for mental health services around the Western world. Um, I just looked that up last night and it's not just in Australia. It's certainly the case in my private practice. We have 25 practitioners and we still need, can't service the demand. Um, I think that the COVID crisis has heightened the risk factors associated with poor mental health like financial insecurity and anxiety, unemployment, fear of job loss, fear of getting COVID, (laughs) Um, you know, having to wear masks everywhere. But it's also affected what we call protective factors, so social connection through meeting up and clubs and concerts and team sports and all of that, Um, our engagement in the workplace and educational spaces so that engagement level had has necessarily gone down access to physical exercise particularly in groups our daily routines have been changed our access to health services all of this has been affected and these are the things that kept us protected from mental health problems before so we've kind of seen the risk factors go up the protective factors fall away and you know it's definitely led to this unprecedented worsening of general mental health in the population. Anxiety and sleep disturbances have gone up, depression's increased. Um, and particularly this has affected young people who live alone with lower socioeconomic status and women who have lower paid jobs and parents who've been stuck at home with kids. <laughs> so certain people have been more affected. Yes, and I am sure that my mum can relate to that one 100%. <laughs> Being stuck at home with me was definitely not good for her mental health. <laughs> Might not have been great for yours either. Oh, well, you never know. <laughs> so um, we spoke a few weeks back on the importance of getting out and eating healthy and exercising but of course we saw the shutting down of gyms we couldn't Mm. go out and hang out with our friends so if they were our exercise buddies we couldn't go and do that anymore so if we were to see another lockdown come up hopefully we don't um what could we do at home or within the boundaries of lockdown to kind of uh replicate the things we were seeing outside of lockdown with exercise and yeah well we've been so fortunate in brisbane haven't we with you know our lockdowns only kind of being a week or, or so Um, I mean, I continued to meet with my exercise buddy during lockdown because you were allowed to exercise with one other person Um, and, you know, you could still get a takeaway coffee. So, you know, that was was a godsend really. Um, Personally, and I've recommended this to people, you know, I just would FaceTime with a group of or, or, you know, do a Zoom call with a group of friends. So at least I stayed in connection with them, you know, on a Friday night instead of going to a restaurant or a pub. you know, it's a good time to take up yoga or some exercise you can do on your own or meditation. You know, I mean, some people have framed the the lockdowns as opportunities to, you know, it's hard. If Also, if you don't feel the motivation to learn something new when you're in a lockdown, just forgive yourself. That's okay. Some people do get quite down mm. to that change to their routine. Um, but some people already have a meditation practice or a yoga practice. or So, you know, pick that up again. Um, but get outside, go for a walk, do the Zoom calls with friends and family, do what you can. Yeah, that's it. Hey, um, and yes, like you said, we have been very fortunate being able to meet up with one or so other people and that. Awesome. Well, that's been uh, our last segment with Dr. Rachel Hannum, unfortunately. 
Um, of course, you can go and catch up on everything back on the Phoenix Radio podcast, which is on all of our social media sites. And uh, Rachel plans on putting them up on her YouTube channel, I believe. Yeah, we'll do that. And the Facebook page, which is just North Brisbane Psychologists. Awesome. So plenty of places on the wonderful internet, which seems to be a huge help, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot of the time. It can be. <laughs> can evil be. or good. Awesome. Thank you very much for all of your time with us, Rachel. It's been my pleasure to have you in the oh, studio. Likewise. Thanks, Pat. No worries. Thank you all for tuning in to uh, Spaced Out right here on phoenixradio.com.au. It's been great. We'll see you when I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And greener, more renewable energy is a constant topic for, of discussion. And Queensland has made a decision to take a huge leap in becoming a greener state. Queensland will soon become the world's largest green hydrogen manufacturer with a new facility based near Gladstone. Here to give us a rundown on what green hydrogen is and why this is exciting is our senior lecturer, uh, Dr. Mark Lynch. Uh, he's a lect senior lecturer in biochemistry and chemistry right here at USQ. How are you going, Mark? Hello, Patrick. How's things? They are going great. So first off, before now, I had not heard of anything about green hydrogen. So for, for me and the listeners that may feel the same way, what is it and how does it work? Well, you've probably heard of hydrogen. Hydrogen's, um, you know, the most abundant element in the universe. But yep. um, formerly, hydrogen used to be prepared from uh, fossil fuels. So it wasn't green at all. Um, hydrogen has a lot of uses but its production isn't green. So um, with the kind of uh, development of uh, green electrical kind of sources, uh, you know, such as wind and solar, it, it's opened up the possibility to actually produce green hydrogen. And green hydrogen basically means it um, burns very cleanly. So when hydrogen burns, it actually, um, uh, the, 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 the byproduct that's formed is water. And so um, I, I don't think anyone would consider water a kind of, you know, in any way damaging to the environment. Definitely not. Um, unlike carbon dioxide. Mm. Um, so this is why it's green. So it's an energy source that burns very cleanly. Um, if you've ever seen a, um, a rocket ship take off, you know, um, um, you know an Apollo mission, um, they are actually powered by hydrogen. So hydrogen and oxygen are in their fuel tanks burn that and so all that smoke that comes out of a rocket is actually steam so it's actually a very clean way of um, deliver uh, of taking solar energy wind energy converting it into electrical energy and then converting that into a, a fuel source that can actually be used for a, a wide variety of kind of applications yeah that's awesome so uh, obviously, that's a benefit uh, for green hydrogen is the fact that it burns really clean. Is there any other uh, main benefits that we see over coal power or, say, wind power um, with this form of energy production? Well, you know, um, the, the fact that it's coming from such a clean source and it is actually possible to react green hydrogen with, well, hydrogen with carbon dioxide is that one of the actual uses is actually to clean the atmosphere of carbon dioxide emissions. So it can actually um, have benefit in converting carbon dioxide into useful products such as methanol, um, you know, and other solvents and other kind of materials um, by taking the gaseous carbon dioxide and turning into um, something more usable. I mean, this is not new stuff. This is what plants do, except plants, um, you know, the one part of photosynthesis 
splits water into hydrogen and oxygen, and then another part of photosynthesis kind of reacts the hydrogen with uh, carbon dioxide to generate carbohydrates and the rest of the plant. You know? So, um, you know, it, it's just, I think the technology has got to a stage where, you know, um, it's getting close to being economically viable to actually use green energy sources to produce hydrogen as a um, fuel source. Yeah, that's awesome. So my next question is, is it safe? Is there anything that we have to worry about or anything that the people living uh, closer to the manufacturing facility near Gladstone should be worried about? Or is it uh, like we're not going to get another Chernobyl out of this or anything like that, are we? No, no. no. Well, yeah, you might have heard of the Hindenburg disaster. Mm. Um, Hindenburg was a German airship that was... Um, um, it was filled with hydrogen. So hydrogen is, you know, a very flammable substance. It's a very lightweight substance. That's why it can make balloons kind of um, uh, float in the air. Um, but you, you look at that, 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 was a, that was a massive kind of um, balloon filled with hydrogen. Um, and most people actually survived that. So there, there are challenges in handling hydrogen. It's a very small, a very light molecule. It, it, it needs special technology to make sure it um, doesn't escape. But um, and it is quite reactive. But um, you know, it's no worse than kind of you know transporting fertilizer or transporting any of the other range of you know hazardous substances that mm-hmm. we kind of rely on um, in agriculture and in and in industry as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So. What sort of uh, time frame could we possibly expect to see this energy being used and uh, possibly replacing even current methods of energy production? Well, you know, that, that's probably... That, that's, that, that's, that's kind of a little bit of crystal ball gazing. But yep. um, I think we've seen with... There's certainly a, a very big desire to move away from uh, fossil fuels and from polluting technologies. So there's a lot of motivation there. So it's not... So there's a there's a lot of developments happening worldwide um, that would suggest that green hydrogen is going to be a fuel of the future. Um, it, it can be used um, in batteries, so a, a very special type of battery called a fuel cell, which powers um, spaceships. So so spaceships um, have real strict weight requirements, and mm. so using hydrogen, which is the lightest thing that actually exists is a big advantage to actually pure power fuel cells. Now, that technology is really expensive at the moment, but that's because it's limited in application. Um, so as we see, you know, these technologies mature and the the price comes down dramatically, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you, you can just probably look at the kind of development of the mobile phone over 20 years and see the rapid improvement that's occurred, not just in the mobile phone itself, but in their battery that actually powers it. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's so hard. It's hard to predict because the changes and the improvements happen so rapidly these yeah. days um, that, um, you know, I'd be kind of, I'm pretty optimistic that, um, um, you know, that into the future we'll be relying, well, we're relying on green sources of energy. There's no doubt about that. Yep. But um, and green hydrogen could be one of these ones where to, to use in applications where you can't necessarily plug something in. So, you know, so for transport, for instance, it's not all that practical to have you know electrified rails on the roads that you kind of drive around on. 
but it, it kind of taking that electrical energy and turning it into chemical energy and then using it as a fuel within the kind of uh, trucks and other you know cars and other transport well that's that's the role that um, um, green hydrogen will certainly um, have it's got it's already got a lot of industrial uses um, as well well hydrogen has a lot of industrial uses and um, currently those industrial uses are using um, you know polluting forms of hydrogen generated from uh, fossil fuels so th- there'll be um, advantages improving a, a lot of those industrial processes. I mean, an important industrial process is making fertilizer, um, and fertilizer uses hydrogen reacted with the atmospheric nitrogen. Um, currently, that hydrogen they're using to produce fertilizer is coming from um, not green sources, so it's actually polluting. Um, but switching that over and, and considering how much fertilizer gets used worldwide, well, that's a massive saving there. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah. that's awesome to hear. That's great to see that we all, we're on our way, hopefully. Uh, thank you so well, much, Mark, for enlightening us yeah, on it's this. Great new... kind of Australia's jumped all over this, it's, yeah. um, you know, and particularly Queensland. It's a great initiative. Of course. Go Australia and go Queensland. Thank you very yeah. much, Mark. It's been my pleasure chatting to you on this. No problem. Anytime. Cheers. You're listening to phoenixradio.com.au. Uh, this is Spaced Out, and unfortunately, that's all the time we've got today. Thank you very much for tuning in, and uh, make sure to come back next week. Uh, Jack and I have got something really cool planned that I'm sure you're going to love. But that's all for today. So cheers for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. This has been Spaced Out right here on phoenixradio.com.au. Taking us out is You Broke Me First by Tate McRae. <laughs>